1: Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, uh, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me.
0: Hello, welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway with me, Mark Tuminelli. This is our very first Little Me Spotlight episode. It's like an after-school special. We are taking a break from our regularly scheduled program to bring you something a little different today. We normally chat with people who have had a ton of success on Broadway at a young age, but today we're gonna chat with a woman who's like the Wizard of Oz, making magic behind the curtain for so many kids. My guest on today's episode is the owner of the Carson Adler Agency, one of the most respected agencies for young performers. She is the advisor to the Actors' Equity Association's Children Committee and has made a huge impact on the industry by working for the rights of professional children. She's a member of the advisory board of Looking Ahead, the branch of the Actors Fund Supporting Young Performers. She's also the author of the incredible book, Raising a Star, published by St. Martin's Press, which I just finished reading, and everyone with a kid in the business, or if you're a kid and you want to be in the business, read the book. Her agency, Carson Adler, has guided the early careers of the unique talents of Leah Michelle. Cynthia Nixon, Mandy Moore, Celia and Andrew Keenan-Bolger, Misha Barton, Ariana Grande, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and the Britney Spears. So uh, I hope you enjoy my chat with legitimately New York City theatrical legend, Nancy Carson. And uh, I hope to bring you more of these spotlight episodes every couple of months. So enjoy the interview with Nancy Carson. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Well,
1: I'm great. This is so fun.
0: It's so great to uh, be able to get to chat with you about what you have done for young people in the business. Uh, as the owner of Broadway Workshop, I've had hundreds of kids come to us, have these big magical moments on Broadway, and it's you have been part of that journey for so many kids. So it's so special to get to chat with you. So thank you for being here. Oh,
1: thank you for inviting me. All
0: right, so let's go back to the beginning. Um, as I mentioned, you're responsible for the success of, you know, hundreds of kids in the industry. I want to talk about how it got started for you back in 1978 when you started your business. How did that spark of that idea come to you?
1: Well, actually, um, I had, a, a daughter who wanted to perform and, um, I was kind of opposed to it. Actually, I wasn't kind of opposed to it. I was really opposed to it. I had visions of stage monsters and, um, she did what little girls do. She cried all night and said, you don't understand. This is what I want more than anything in the world. So I finally let her put her toe in the water. And as I got into it a little bit, I realized that there really wasn't anybody who cared that much about these kids who wanted to act. It was a lot about commercials, a lot about modeling. Um, And um, I thought that there Needed to be somebody working with young people specifically who wanted to act. Who weren't perfect looking necessarily. Um, And I um, needed to start to work. And I convinced another agent to hire me. um, Just for a percentage of the percentage. Because I had nothing to uh, speak for me other than the fact that I was Wanted to do a thing. thing, yeah. I wanted to do it. So I did it like that and we quadrupled the business very quickly and I went hmm, I guess I could do this and so um Marion Adler who was working in another agency and I decided that we would try to buy the agency j was the name of the agency the agency where I was working and we had made all the agreements and we were about to do it and the last minute the owner decided not to sell And so we looked at one another and said, well, we're all ready to do this. Why don't we just do it? And And that's how it started. And then her name was um, actually Marion Finkelstein. My name was Nancy Dorosky. And we thought (laughs) somehow Dorosky Finkelstein didn't have a ring to it.
0: It doesn't really zing, does it? (laughs) So my maiden
1: name is Carson and her mother's name was Adler and Carson Adler sounded a whole lot better. We tossed a coin to see whose name got to go first And that's how Carson Adler got started.
0: So we have like two women who are starting a business in the late (laughs) 70s. Crazy, crazy,
1: I'm sure that
0: that was like a very difficult feat in a business that is all, you know, generally men and that don't know anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And my father was convinced I was going to end up in the gutter. Absolutely convinced. So, Um, but
0: it worked. It seems to have worked out as you were here. I guess it worked. Oh my God. It's amazing. Who was that first group of kids that you start to bring in? How did you find that first group?
1: Um, well, they kind of, they were the kids that I had worked with at JJ. And although I didn't take anything with me because, you know, when you leave an agency, you can't take anything. They found me very quickly. I'm sure. Um, and that included um, kids like Roseanne Sorrentino, who was Pepper in the Annie movie and was Annie and one of the national companies and a bunch of my other Annies. And... Um, uh, some of the other early kids. Uh, I'm trying to think. Braden Danner might have been originally.
0: He's that original Gavroche. He was the original and, yeah.
1: Gavroche. Well, he started out being. um He was in Nine. And, and he was in Oliver with Patty Lepore, right? With yes. Patty Lapone and that's how the team got to know him. So he sort of had an inside edge when it came to Les Mis because they already knew him. So. uh
0: so we you brought up Annie, so I'm going to segue right to it. So Annie oh, obviously yeah. changed the game for children performers on Broadway. Um, and you were very involved and had lots of, you know, kids, I'm sure, in and out of that. I want to talk about how much the industry changed with having the show that always had, you know, six or eight girls in it at, at any time. And what your involvement was in that original uh, production.
1: Well, Annie is really what gave me the money to get started. Um, I I somehow was able to hear that sound that Martin liked. And so before I even started Carson Adler, I had many Annie kids, uh, many orphans, many. And I think I had 39 or 40 orphans in that early bunch and maybe six or seven Annies. Um, So, you know, Annie just kind of became um, my thing. Um, And yeah, go ahead. Well, actually, at this point, I think that I could do the entire show. I
0: was going to say it must be very draining every I've time there's a new. seen it
1: Annie. so yes. many times now. But yeah, but it's always exciting to see my kids do it. You know, of course. My kid who always wanted to be Annie do it. So, uh, But I, yes, Annie became a, a thing. So I
0: still think kids like growing up, you know, it's still the standard of like getting to play Annie and here we are in 2020 and that's still the part that every little girl grows up wanting to do. It hasn't, it hasn't been eclipsed by a whole lot of other things.
1: Right. Um, Right. Well, you know, let me say something about that because I think Annie really did was a game changer. Um, Here we had little girls who really had to sing. They had to hit that high F sharp and full belt. Um, And Martin insisted that they hit it. You can't do that eight shows a week if you're not singing correctly. So what came along with Annie was proper voice training for kids. I really don't believe that before Annie, we worried as much because there weren't so many shows where kids had to sustain that singing throughout an entire show at that level with that rage. So we started seeing an uptick in voice teachers and voice coaches and good ones, and um, I didn't really ever want to have an Annie who wasn't trained because they couldn't do it. They would end up with with vocal problems and nodules. Yeah, so I do think it was a game changer that way.
0: You talk a lot in your book, which is amazing, and we're going to talk about it in a couple of minutes. But you talk a lot in your book about how Martin Charnin sort of really took care of these kids that were auditioning and and created a a really wonderful process for them to be part of it. And I've heard from many kids who were part of that original mm-hmm. cast or, you know, one of the subsequent Broadway companies yeah. of that original Broadway production. And they always have such incredible things to say about him. No one has yeah. a negative word to say about him. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with him? Were you were you like saying this is the kid? Trust me, Mark.
1: Like what was happening behind the scenes? Well, I got to that point. I mean, <laughs> you know, he had to trust me at first. Um, and, and we had our differences. Um, early on, I wanted to know why he didn't have diversity in the cast. And he said, well, you know, back in the day, the orphanages were segregated. And I said, Martin, yeah, but it's not back in the day. And so um, he said, all right, all right. And Jodie Ford was one of mine. And she was the first African-American orphan. Um, and was that
0: was that? It seems like that's become a really big part of who you are and what you do. Is that you're creating opportunities for a lot of diversity in the business? And it looks like you know the business is finally catching
1: up with your ideas.
0: Um, well, here we are. I, and I keep
1: finding new ideas. <laughs> like I have a trans person who was about to open in Harry Potter, except that we shut down. Oh um, my God. That's and not so, you not know. Great. I mean, it's what challenge can we find next to do? What well, barriers I'm, I'm can we sure break you down? will
0: break down all the barriers as you did with Annie. Um, you also were very involved in creating what the tutoring system was uh, for the touring productions, right?
1: Well, they weren't tutoring. So um, they were just sending kids was, on the
0: road and they were like, best of yeah. luck with seventh yeah. grade.
1: <laughs> get your get your get your books and take them along or whatever. I mean, um, but the first any company that was going out, I had a, a bunch of kids in. And um I said, Well, what are you gonna do about tutoring? And they said, What do you mean, tutoring? And I said, Well, how are these kids gonna learn? And I started saying I wasn't gonna send kids if they didn't have some learning they said okay well if you find us a teacher that'll travel with us we'll we'll pay for it and we'll have the kids tutored so I started going to my teacher friends um and saying does anybody want to go on tour with Annie and and I found some teachers and we said but it was a lot of work and so I started talking to um some people at Equity and I said you know this is just wrong that kids aren't tutored. Um, Even in New York, they weren't tutored. And I said, this is just ridiculous. And so we finally got the equity contract changed to require tutoring. And at about that point, um, I met Alan Simon, who was an actor at the time. And um, he was looking for something to do. And my friend who was a manager in the business, Celine Sokol, and I talked to him and said, you know, you could start a tutoring service. There's an idea for you. And that's how On Location Education kind of got started.
0: I mean, look at, like, do you helicopter this career and be like, look at what a mark you've made on the industry? Does that occur to you once a day at least?
1: No, it's just the right thing to do, Mark. You oh, know? It's so great. I mean, if you were sending kids out on the road, wouldn't you like why aren't they I mean I two? would
0: imagine but you know yeah. I, I'm sure you know kids will do whatever uh whatever it takes if they're going to have the job or parent hungry parents and
1: parents will do yes um, well let's talk parents.
0: about parents we don't have to get specific but you know this is a business that's so strange because you can't be a child lawyer, you can't be a child dentist, you can really only be a child actor, which involves that your parent has to like, you know, be a part of that. How do you work with parents who are a little extra or how do you like figure out how to manage the parent side of it?
1: Well, first of all, I try very, very hard not to get that parent. Great. Um, So when I'm interviewing, um, I interview the child, but the parent is in the waiting room And I leave the door open and I listen um, and I have whoever's sitting in the waiting room at the desk, listen to just to see what's going on. And, you know, if there's a lot of coercion and the parent is saying, well, just do this and we'll go get you the Barbie doll afterwards or something like that. I'm not interested. And if they come in my office, I always then have them come in my office after I've interviewed a child. And if they say things like if their first question is, well, who gets to spend the money? That's a red flag. Flag right there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just I, you learn over the years what the red flags are, and uh, I so I try very hard not to have difficult parents. And most of my parents, Mark, are wonderful. I love them. They're just the same as if their kid wanted to play little league or uh, be a gymnast or whatever. You know, I mean, parents go to great ends to help to make their kids able to do what it is they want to do so uh yeah so but but yes every once in a while i i
0: get i get one every once in a while too and i'm like what i don't know how to manage this guy
1: (laughs) well i sit them down and i say look we need to have a conversation this isn't working um or if if I have somebody come in my office who does have a reputation of being somewhere else and being very difficult, I would I just flat out say, look, your reputation precedes you. Um, so we have to talk about it because you can't, this isn't the way Carson Adler parents act. And I just have a real heart to heart and say, you're you're not only making it terrible for people around you, but you're ruining your child and you're ruining my life. <laughs> and we got to do something about this. So and what are those
0: things do? that parents are doing to, between the relationship between the parent and the agent that are things that they should not, that maybe doesn't um, dawn on them?
1: Calling, casting people themselves, yeah. going and talking to the director themselves, um, overstepping bounds a lot. Some parents are just controlled parents and so they overstep bounds. Um, pushing the child. when The child really is tired of it and doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, bribing them and pushing them to do it. Uh, How
0: can you get a sense on your end when the kid is kind of times up? They did it. They did two commercials. They, you know, are not feeling it. Or what, what do you see when you're like, this is time to end this? Well,
1: first of all, I don't do commercials. So that oh, good. eliminates a whole commercials or print. We just do Film, TV, and Broadway. Great. So that eliminates a whole bunch of kids. Uh, But if I start hearing from the parent, you know, he doesn't really want to do this audition. He has some other things he wants to do. Um, You know, there's usually uh, some, I get a sense that the the child's burning out and the parent is still hot to do it. Um, I will suggest maybe they take a break and see if, uh, you know, couple of months doing something else makes it more attractive um because you can bribe a child for a little bit but not for very long um it's going to come through in their performance and in their attitude uh so
0: that's so you meet with a lot of kids, obviously in your office. You maybe have yep. seen them in a showcase or in a show, or you know, I'm sure a lot of people come to you in many, many ways. But um, what kind of things do kids do that make you know that they are right for the industry, ready to start working? And they have that spark? What what kind of
1: things do you look for? They are so excited, first of all, to be in my office. They um lead the the whole, they drive the interview. They are, this is what it's all about. They walk in and they see the theater posters and they're oh, I, I love that show. Oh, look at this. Oh, you have this one. Oh, my goodness. You know, because I have all these signed posters. That's a child that's really into it. Or if I say, what do, you, what do you like to watch? What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite TV show? And they talk about it and they talk about it from the standpoint of the acting and the, uh, all that. This is a child who really wants to do it. Um, I think maybe I tell the story in the book. I can't really remember, but I have one little boy that just to be exemplifies that child. Um, I give them a little script to look at and I have them work with their mom or who, who's ever with them um, on the script. And then they come in and we do it together. And this little boy was working on the script and it was his nanny who had brought him actually. And she was fussing over him and all. And he put the script down and he looked at her and he said you just don't understand this is the most important day of my life let me work on the script and he was probably nine years old or 10 years old that is the classic child that I want. I want the child whose parents say, I have no idea why I'm here. I I hope you will talk about it because he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he thinks he wants to be an actor.
0: You talk in your book about a kid writing you a letter saying, this is what I need to do. Like, I, I love when it's from the kid. I mean, obviously those are the people who have the passion and want to go through it.
1: Well, my one little boy, and I I don't know if you know Ramsey Haliff, and he won't mind if I tell his story. Um, He's from Beirut, Lebanon, originally. Um, His parents relocated to this country after the um, problems with the uh, ambassadors and all in Lebanon. They they were teaching at the American School of Beirut. They came over here and were teaching at Princeton University. And he found me and reached out to me. And the parents came with him to my office and sat straight up back to the chair, looking straight at me, like incredulous. And, uh, you know, I'm going to talk this little boy out of it. And they didn't know how he got the idea. But it, when he was in Beirut, all he did was dance around. They'd been bombed out and the apartment was a mess and he was dancing around the living room. And in a week, he was in a show on Broadway. He was in falsettos <laughs> on Broadway. Oh, my God. I don't think they knew what hit them. But, um, you know, that's that's a classic story of somebody who had no clue what the business was about at all. And um, found like crazy success very quickly. Like Very quickly. He did quite a bit. Um, I have to talk
0: about some of your big star people you've worked with because the roster is truly unbelievable. The first person I want to talk about is Cynthia Nixon because obviously oh. she's grown up to become, you know, a oh, huge Cynthia. star.
1: And she's wonderful, and she's so smart, and she's so together. Her mother was wonderful. Ann Nixon was just just fabulous and smart and politically involved in all of those things. And Cynthia actually came to me because my daughter brought her to me.
0: Oh, my they God. Were Did they go both, to school?
1: No, they were both in Final Callbacks for Little Darlings. Oh. Movie Little Darlings. I remember it. Yeah. Well, Cynthia got it, Bonnie didn't, but they were- <laughs> you know, they were down to like two for each part. And the other girl got the part in Bonnie's case and Cynthia got the part. But at this point they had just been at the final callback and Cynthia didn't have an agent and Bonnie brought her over. And I remember they sat on my floor um, when I first met her because I had this little bitty office. Um, now you did not represent your daughter, right? I didn't initially, but then I did, but I, I, but she was Bonnie Dorosky and I was Nancy Carson. So people didn't figure out that she was my daughter and I Got never it. really told anybody.
0: Well, that was like, that's a good way to do it.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. So you with Cynthia, you, did you negotiate that wild to Broadway show at the same uh, time deal?
1: <laughs> you know, I think so, but I think that it was also the shows themselves worked it out that she could do it. Um, because they had they were the same producer, I believe. Uh, yeah, I was trying to remember that story and exactly how that happened. I had two different instances. Braden Danner also was actually in two shows at once, too.
0: What two shows was he in? Uh, he-
1: Lay Mis and Starlight Express. Oh my god! But he was the voice of the Starlight Express, and they were right across the street from each other. So it w- that was pretty easy because he would die in Lay Mizz. And after he died, he would go across the street, put on his Starlight Express pajamas, because the little boy was in his pajamas, take his curtain call, go back and then put on his gavroche clothes and take the curtain call for Les Mis. So,
0: I mean, that is really the craziest yeah. thing. I'm, I mean, between Crazy, that and, right? and Cynthia's story of doing yeah. real thing and Hurley Burley together Hurley, at the Burley, same time. It was
1: the same kind of thing. It just seemed yeah. the two theaters were right there. And so it could work.
0: Um, You also, of course, have incredible Britney Spears stories. Uh, As a young girl, she came to you from Louisiana, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, at first it wasn't quite working for her, right?
1: Well, you know, it was hard. She was from this tiny little place in Louisiana, but she was wildly talented. I mean, Mark, you cannot imagine. I got chills the first time she... I heard her sing. They they took a train from Louisiana with a new baby because Jamie Lynn was a brand new baby then, wow. and came to my office. And they had no money, but here was this little bitty thing who just could sing and dance amazingly well. But she was very Southern. I mean, we kind of had to work a little bit to.
0: Yes, ma'am. I'm sure you had you know, a lot of yes,
1: ma'am. <laughs> Britney Jean Spears. Uh, um, and I would tell her mother not to talk when she went into the auditions because Brittany could kind of lose the Southern. Lynn never could. So I said, <laughs> well, just don't talk and they won't guess. Um, and so
0: she booked the understudy in Ruthless off Broadway.
1: Yeah, she, um, I don't know if you, do you know the three girls that did Ruthless? That's pretty amazing.
0: I mean, Laura Bell and then Brittany and who's the third one?
1: Natalie Portman, that's it. <laughs> Natalie Portman. But she wasn't oh Natalie Portman. She was Natalie. She was Natalie, Natalie
0: Herschlag.
1: Herschlag. exactly. Yeah, I grew up exactly. with her. <laughs> okay, so that's the third person. And oh remember, Laura Bell Bundy's mother produced the show. Oh,
0: I did not know that piece of trivia. Okay, so. Well,
1: we're learning stuff or, tonight. for Laura Bell Bundy. So oh. Brittany was Laura Bell's understudy, but then Laura Bell booked some sort of Tom Sawyer movie, it was, or something like that, and so Brittany got to go on and do the role while Warbell Bundy went off and did the movie that she was doing. So she actually played the part for a while.
0: And then um, she was going to go home, but you got her another audition. Tell
1: that's, do you know, what's that story? Well, they, they did go home. Yeah. They They went home because it was before Christmas and they were just ready to, to go home. Um you know, it's a long way to Louisiana from New York. And, and I don't know if you know this, but Brittany um and Marty Thomas and his mom uh shared they an all apartment. Share
0: an apartment. I had Marty on the podcast and he told me that story. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. this well, is Well, and, and that's
1: because they were both my clients. He was doing secret garden. Yeah. And they mom didn't have very much money. They were farmers. Um, and so I said, Well, maybe this will work out. We'll have you, you know, share. And so we got them all together and they were kind of both Southernish and it, it worked.
0: You know? So, or, when did Mickey Mouse Club happen for her?
1: Well, that was after uh, because she did uh, Junior Star Search. Oh, yeah. Before, yeah. before Mickey Mouse Club. Um, and she did a couple of other smaller things too. She did a um, candid camera kind of thing. What um, is it
0: like to look at that? Like you know, this little girl. You know the story. She was in your. They didn't have money to be, you know, keep stay in New York, and then you see this like become a huge star. What does that look like from your perspective?
1: Well, I remember the day that I was riding in the car and I heard her record. Come it's probably on, probably "Hit Me just, Baby" was the first "Hit Me Baby." Thing, yeah. Time, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the music business, so I'm a mixed mixed feelings. But but I got to know Brittany and, and her mom and, and the baby. I mean, I got to know them very well. They spent a good bit of time in my office. Brittany actually liked to answer the phones at the front desk. She loved to pretend she was the receptionist. Um, and, I, you know, they, they just, I got to know them. And Lynn and I are still friends um, all these years later.
0: I love um, have you, when was like the last time you saw Britney Spears do anything? Have you, have you oh, seen a it, big stadium show or anything like that? I saw
1: a big show. I saw yeah. one of her big shows. Um, but the last time I actually saw her was um, when they were doing a workshop production of um, her, the show with her music that's going to be coming. Oh yeah. The Britney Spears musical. One more time. Yeah. Um, and she was there and, you know, we had big hugs and, little tears. And, you know, it was real nice to see each other.
0: Oh, it's so, it's such a great story.
1: Um, um, Also, you worked at Mouse
0: Club. Mouse, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, the Mouse Club, you know, the way I met Brittany was because they had driven, she was too small for the Mouse Club, but they had driven to where they were doing Mouse Club auditions because they had this little girl who was dying to perform and they didn't know what to do with her. And so they went and auditioned for Matt Casella, who was the casting director for the Mouse Club. And, um, you know, he basically said, she's too young. And they said, well, can you suggest anything that we could do with her? And he said, well, yeah, let me send her stuff to my friend, Nancy Carson. And he gave them my name and they wrote me a letter. And that's how I was connected with her.
0: Started. Um, started. You also represented Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I did. That's... Like you are really well, the star maker. What do you remember Matt about David those? And ben I know, they but they are now from
1: Boston who were friends. Well, Matt came. I mean, Ben came first, and, and then, he was referred to me by the casting director um, Carolyn Pickman up in Boston, um, and from CP Casting. Um, so he came, and um, they were teenagers, and he actually said. I have a friend who wants to do this. Would you meet him? And I said, sure. So that's what I met Matt. Um, and they were amazing, but you know, it's very hard to get anybody hired when they haven't reached 18. Um, because there's that issue of parents and, and less working hours and all that. It's all about money. Yeah. And so as wonderful as they were, it was pretty hard to get anybody to hire them very much. Matt had done a, um, an after-school special um, that I still have the tape of. Actually. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and, um, and Matt did a, um, Ben did the after-school special. Matt did a a thing that ran on Mickey Mouse Club that was like a movie um, that they ran on the Mouse Club. Um, and uh, he was one of the actors in that. But, you know, they didn't do big stuff. Um, they were working, they were writing um, their screenplay, but it wasn't a screenplay. It was to be a Broadway show first. Really? Yeah. And then, uh, and then it,
0: and then magic poof it, superstars. You know, well, it
1: took them a while. It yeah. Took them, no, they kicked around for a while. They went to, they went to college for a bit. Matt went to uh, Harvard and uh, Ben went to university of Vermont. Um, but he didn't finish
0: well, it it's all it turned out okay.
1: Oh yeah, it turned out okay, and I'm very proud of them. They're wonderful.
0: And of course, um, in recent years, you have Ariana Grande, who's also like done this crazy thing of eclipsing music. Yeah, you know, uh, starting in thirteen, which did you book her small in that show? Part. I For know, the very, like very small barely part. in the court. End like, of the
1: show. Well, she yeah. had that big song though at the, at end, the end. end of the show. Yeah, It yeah. really showed her voice because she had a voice from the time yeah. she was little. Do you
0: remember how you found her?
1: Yeah, I was working with her brother, Frankie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, would you meet my sister? And I said, sure. And this little dark-haired, slightly round little girl came into my office with an amazingly big voice. And I she was like, wow, uh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, that's how I met her.
0: And then now, now like, fireworks. Here we are, big, big stars. Right, when right. you... Um, when you look at these kids that, you know, had their their seeds essentially like planted in your business, you've created them and they've gone on to these huge things. Do you feel like, you know, do you feel it's parental energy? Do you feel yeah? Yeah.
1: I feel very proud. And and some of them I reconnect with, you know, they come back to see me, some of them not, but I'm very I'm proud of all of them, and I know the part that I played in their lives. I mean, I—they all hung out in my office. My office is sort of like a nice club to belong to. Yeah. Um, you know, they come. I mean, I remember Donald Faison coming in my office, and he'd go through my files to see who he was going to ask out on a date. And I think, "Get out of my files! You can't do that." <laughs> Oh my God! Is yeah, there a yeah.
0: moment that really stands out of you as like this is next level proud of watching this person do this thing?
1: There's so many, Mark. I, I, to <laughs> single anybody out, I mean, when, I know, I know. When Ben and Matt won, um,
0: yeah, that's t- you know their their Oscar, Academy Awards. I mean, that's their
1: Oscar. That's pretty amazing. When Cynthia was running for governor, yeah. I mean, I'm so proud of her. She's she was so political, and she did it. She had the gumption to actually go do it. Um, it's so cool. I've, I've seen Cynthia and her wife uh, a number of times, so you know, I, I've told her how proud I am of her. Um, um, you know, each one of what, as I said, hearing Britney's song when her song came on the radio, it was like you know. Amazing. Major moments. Major moments, yeah.
0: So with a lot of these kids, they go through like this huge chunk of time where they're working and they're busy and they're auditioning because they're 9, 10, 11. And then, you know, it all changes when they're teenagers. How do you help your clients that you know have it, but you know it's going to be a slog for the next couple of years? How do you navigate
1: that? Well, you know, Mark, I warn them. It's gonna be really good for a while. And then all of a sudden, if they can hire somebody who's over 18 who looks the same age as you, they're gonna hire them. Even if you're still just as talented, just as wonderful, and you're gonna to have to take that time and study and, and do other things because the chances of you getting something are much slimmer. Um, and we have seen um, some things now for for teens. Um, Now that we have Nickelodeon and Disney, but even those channels, even those teen shows, a lot of them are aspirational and they hire a little older for the age that is going to watch the show. Um, Because a real 13, 14 year old boy is kind of geeky. Yeah. Um, And so they hire 18 year olds who look in um, because that's what the girls want to imagine that the real 13, 14 year old boys look like. I always am wondering about
0: uh, when you have this relationship with young people and you, you're you almost like a mother figure. And it sounds like when people are hanging out in your office, like there's this yeah. connection. How hard is it to release people from your agency?
1: Well, you, you kind of know when it's time. Um, and we, a lot of times we have tears. I mean, I remember Andrew coming, Andrew Keenan-Bolger coming and sitting across me and he was writing a lot of stuff and he really wanted to get into the other end of things. And he sat there and he was teary and he gave me a gift. And he said, you know, I realized that I have spent more time with you than I did with my own mother because his mother passed away. Yeah. Um, and he said, this is really hard. I remember David Crumholtz telling me how hard it was um and but you know I still have connection to these people they didn't go away yeah they just went on so you have to I have to realize that it's not forever it's but I've had an important part in their life and and I hear I mean anytime Matt Damon works with somebody that's one of my kids he always talks to them about how important and I still talk to his mom sometimes but he talks to me about talks to them about how important I was to him so you know that's gratifying and you just have to you know, yeah you have it's to just know like the it's circle time. of life it's the way it kind of goes you know when it's time but but you know I, a lot of them stay with me for quite a long time um we put Donald Faison on in scrubs and then he moved to la and um you know, Married and had kids, and at an agent out there because that's what he needed to do. You know, a lot of them stay a long time.
0: So now with this book, which uh, you wrote a few years ago, which is really a wonderful uh, opportunity to share your, not only your stories, but as a guide for parents who are, you know, interested in the performing arts and don't know anything. And a lot Mm -hmm. of what you share in the book, which I thought was really amazing is about your relationship with the parents. And the more it feels like a friendship and the easier it is for you to share when there's bad news and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you cultivate that sort of relationship with a parent? that so you can get to that place yeah
1: communication it's not about having an assistant um shoot out an email it's about picking up the phone and actually talking to them or sending them an email and saying you know this is going to be hard i need to talk to you i mean it's just communication um, and i imagine I, you've
0: gotten very good at telling people bad news as well as telling them good news um but well, the bad I guess news i good is at it it's yeah. hard yeah Um, Is there a moment that sticks out at you of being like, this is the hardest call I've had to make?
1: Yeah, but I don't know if I want to tell it. Okay, you
0: don't have to tell it.
1: I can tell it. I'll tell it. I don't think she'll mind.
0: Okay. You can leave out the names of the innocent. Well,
1: no, because it's my daughter. Okay. You could ask her after. Now, I remember I said people didn't know that she was my daughter. And she did an after-school special back in the day when they had after-school special. Oh, I loved time. an after-school special. And she had a big role in the after-school special. And after they filmed, finished filming and put it together, the producer looked at it and said, it's just not working with her in that role. And she called me. And of course, she didn't know that it was my daughter. And she told me. And I had to tell Bonnie. And that was the hardest phone call I have made since I've been in the business. Oh, my God. That is. I know.
0: It was that's terrible. hard to hear
1: now. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was, terrible. It was awful. It was awful. Um, and the worst part about it, really, was that the person that they hired was somebody that she did a Broadway show, did the Dugwares Landscape of the Body with Alexa Kennan. So it was, and it was the girl who beat her out in Little Darlings, too. So it was that it was other like girl. Threefold. It was of that disappointment. other girl. And she was friends with her. And unfortunately, Lexi, Lexi died very young of um, a drug overdose. Oh,
0: that's terrible.
1: Very young. Um, which was terrible too. So you know, I mean, that even made Bonnie feel horrible because it was like she was so upset at losing this. You know, it was just it was that was that whole that whole thing,
0: thing was, was yeah it was nice
1: just kind of really awful.
0: And also on the flip side, do you what is your most uh, exciting news that? I mean, I'm sure it's always exciting to tell someone they book something. It's always exciting. Is there one moment or two that stick out as like this was
1: something I can't possibly forget? You know, one of well, one of the most exciting things I think was sitting at the screening with Robert McNaughton sitting in front of me and Drew Barrymore sitting right there with her mom and Henry Thomas and Steven Spielberg and watching the screening of E.T.
0: Oh, that's very and
1: knowing that it when it had never nobody had seen it, and knowing it was going to be a massive historic movie, that and of course it has, it's just stayed and God. stayed and stayed. That was that was, um, that said chills. I mean, I just knew what an incredible movie that was, and Robert so, almost didn't do it.
0: <laughs> with, with what was why would he have done
1: that? <laughs> well there were two reasons he was offered two things at the same time. And the other thing he would have had more lines. It was playing a Tom swear role in something forgettable. I don't even remember exactly what it was. And the other reason was his parents were kind of concerned about the bad language in ET. Now, do you remember bad language? I, that's E.T.? not what, that's not what sticks out at no, me. There no, but, but, but if you think back when they were playing D and D at the kitchen table, so he had to use the phrase penis breath and his parents were really upset about that. And nobody even remembers. If I tell them now, as a matter of fact, I use it as an example. When somebody says to me, I don't want my child to say that. I, I I will often say, nobody's even going to remember. Let me tell you about E.T. Would you think of that as a movie that has bad language in it? So, you know, that's why he didn't do it. But uh, that day at the screening when, the, when it ended, Robert turned around and looked at me and he said, all right, you were right. because <laughs> um, I, I told him, I said, if you don't do this, I want you to put it in writing that I told you to do it and you made the choice to do the other project. I mean,
0: you, you know, it. you're a hit maker, you know, what's going to happen. Um, I want to talk about the book for two more seconds and then we have to wrap up. But um, so whose idea was this to put together these stories? And this is a guide for uh, parents and kids. Was this something you had wanted to do for a long time?
1: Well, I actually did an earlier book called Kid Biz. Okay. That, um, that I wrote with a friend of mine and it drew a, a lot of that, but I hadn't been in the business very long. I didn't have as many good stories. Um, and uh, Warner, Warner Communications published that one. But um, but I had been thinking since then about now is the time that I really need to do it. So this one, even though it says another person's name on the cover, actually, I really wrote all of that. Your and, name
0: is much bigger than hers. So uh, I know that it's, a, you know, it's... No,
1: here's the deal. The, the publisher, because I really wasn't a writer, you know, I mean, I actually was, I had written a lot of stuff when I was in school and all, but they didn't want me to do it without having uh, another writer connected. So I would write the stuff, send it to her. She'd say, this looks great. And she'd send it back. (laughs) So pretty much it, it is all my, my words and all my. um, How
0: did you decide what stories to include and what to leave out for the book, the next book? (laughs)
1: I'm working on it. I'm thinking about it. (laughs) I, I, you know, um, I, I don't want to tell things that are going to be hurtful. Yeah. I'll tell you a story and then I know you want to wrap up, but there was no, I would literally
0: talk to you for the rest of my life. This is the most entertaining
1: John Springer. Okay. And John was Marilyn Monroe and, uh, Judy Garland and all of these bigs. He was publicist for all these huge stars. And um, he, I met him back when I had written the first book and we had been doing publicity and somebody who worked for John helped us with publicity. But John decided he liked me for some reason and he was well on in years and he would every once in a while call me up and he was married and I was married. It was nothing like that. <laughs> but he would call me up and say, um, Nancy, you want to have lunch? And he would take me to somewhere like Gallagher's or one of these places. And he'd say, now we're going to sit at Marilyn's table or we're going to sit at Judy's table. And then he'd tell me these incredible stories And I said to him, John, you have to write a book. These stories are amazing. And he said, Nancy, these people trusted me with their stories and with their life. And no, I'm, I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to put it out there. Um, that wouldn't be fair to them and their memory. Um, and that has stayed with me. So these people have trusted me with their lives. And I think that I don't want to do that to any of them.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's a makes a lot of sense that they're yours and you don't have to share them with the world. And there are
1: plenty of positive stories. There are plenty of wonderful yeah. stories that I want to share.
0: Great. We want more. I want another book. I need more. (laughs) I need more. All the stories. I have two last questions for you. Okay. I want to know what, what you wish every kid knew before they would come in to meet you. What do they need to know that they don't?
1: Getting an agent is the start. Okay. It's very hard after that. That it's very hard that just because an agent wants you doesn't mean you're going to have success right away. It's going to take a long time. You're going to go on 20 or 30 auditions. And if you can't handle that rejection and you can't handle um, not getting the part all the time, you shouldn't do it. As much as you want to act, as much as you want to perform, um, don't put yourself in that position where um, you're going to be constantly hurt. You have to be able to bounce back.
0: That's great advice. Um, and what are you most looking forward to when this COVID time is behind us and we can get back to real, <laughs> to real?
1: Remember well, that, like everybody else, going to a Broadway show, right? Giving, and going to see those shows that I had kids that were right ready to do that show, and then we closed down. Oof. we have a number of those. You realize? Yeah, you know it's. it's uh,
0: it's been such an incredibly strange time, um, yeah. especially for these young theater kids that are, especially the ones who are about to have big moments. Big moments. Yeah, um, their big and,
1: day, and then yeah. and then and and people don't realize that for these kids, a year in their life is they're a whole different person. They may yeah. not even be able to do that role they were going to do. Um, Owen Tabaka, who was supposed to do Love Life in encores with um, Brian Stokes Mitchell, big role for him, huge role. Yeah, Owen's grown four, four inches or five inches, and his voice has changed. He, he it's
0: it's so hard You know,
1: very 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 hard. So people don't think about that. You know, for adult actors, they're going to be pretty much the same person. Yeah, the kids are not.
0: Well, we know that. You know, you take such great care of kids and that everyone who meets with you has a wonderful experience whether you decide to represent them or not and I always remind kids that you know they should be meeting with lots of people and it's like mm-hmm. it's like dating. So if you get along with someone or you're meeting a new friend and you like hanging out with them, they might be a good fit for you, right. but not every agent is. So is there any other advice that you would like to share to any of the parents? possibly insane, but maybe some not so insane parents or kids about uh, when the world reopens, what we're gonna be looking forward to and all that.
1: Let their child take the lead. It's great advice. I think that that really let the child take the lead, but do plenty of research. Um, Just because somebody wants you doesn't mean you want them. Um, Find out all you can about them and make sure that you really are on the same page. And um, if somebody makes it sound too good to be true, it probably is.
0: Yes. Watch out for the scams, friends.
1: Don't give anybody money up front. Yes. It does not cost to get an agent until you get a job.
0: We remind parents that all the time at Broadway Workshop, I don't, you know, I get those crazy phone calls. They're like, this person wants to represent us. It's $500 a month. And my photo goes in a book. I'm like, record scratch, call it off. Call it off. Yeah. What is is there like a really big scam that has come across your desk that you're like I cannot believe this one?
1: Well, there was one a number of years back where they were getting the birth registries from hospitals and sending out letters to people saying that their child was um, I think it was National Talent Associates. They were called. Your god. child has come to our attention, and um, and then they could go and meet them in their home and charge them this money and take pictures. These were newborn babies, and and sometimes they were babies who had challenges, um, and they didn't care. Where uh, so that got shut down. But that's that is probably the biggest scam. So
0: that I mean. insane! I can't it, even. Incredible, right? Oh my incredible.
1: god. Well, everyone
0: out there, be careful. Oh, you have another one? Tell me another one.
1: Well, there was universal talent that made everybody think they were doing screen tests. And they thought it was universal. And it wasn't universal pictures at all. It was... People making money over pretending they were doing screen tests.
0: I was like, if you're meeting at a hotel, this is not right. Not, this is not right. It's not real. Yeah. Um, Nancy, can you tell everybody where they can get the book, or where they can find out more information about your agency, or if they have like a budding star, how to you know get in touch with you without getting super in touch with you?
1: Well, they you know that the book's available a lot of places. It's it's also an ebook. Raising um, a star,
0: can, you can find it raising on Amazon. You
1: find it on Amazon. Um, it's in bookstores, but you know, who goes to bookstores so much these days? So uh, who goes
0: anywhere? Uh,
1: but but it's it's in print, it's in Amazon, and it is an ebook if you don't want to spend the money for a, a real hold in your hands book.
0: I needed I needed a hold in my hands copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the know. next time I, I see I'm, you.
1: I'm old school too. I'm old school. Yeah. Um, and if they wanna send stuff to me, um Mail, picture, and resume, Carson Adler Agency, Inc. You could say they heard me on the podcast. Great. And um, it's 250 West 57th Street, Suite 2128, New York, New York, 10107. That's oh, where that's... I live most of the time <laughs> when I'm not.
0: And you have a very we can... comprehensive website, so uh, yes. people can just Google that.
1: Um, they can do I... that,
0: too. I'll put it in the show notes. Nancy, you are such a legend. I'm so grateful that you would take the time to chat with me about your incredible career. And I can't wait to see you at a showcase again if uh, Anya and I can ever get back on on stage (laughs) uh, showing you the 50 brightest talents that we found that year. Uh, That's Uh, great. We we can't wait to have you back. So uh, everyone follow Nancy to see what's going on. And uh, we can't wait to get your kids back on stage when Broadway
1: reopens. And I can't wait to get my body in a seat <laughs> on Broadway because that's where I want to be.
0: Oh, me too. So, thank you, Nancy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dori Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli, or on Twitter at ThatTuminelli. For more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work